Praise God. Welcome, everybody. You know, when, when Pastor Jeff was here, he said something to me one day. He said, if you stop or you pause, this church will run you over. It will flatten you. If you hesitate or you have a bad week or two, you need to be very careful around here because you'll get flattened by the move of God. There's so much going on. It's, it's fantastic. I turned around here, not last Friday, the Friday before, and I could not believe what was happening in here. Jesus was here for a start. But without any organization, all of a sudden, the numbers almost doubled. And then the same last Friday, something's moving, something's shifting. It, church growth. I've prayed many times. I sit down there Friday and I pray, God, do you know what? See if I ever get in the way of this church. Would you take me away? Would you take me out of here and put someone else in? Someone who will actually lead the place forward? Because it's not about us. I've prayed that again and again and again. God, if I'm a cause for blockage or slowness, get me out of here. And you need to pray the same thing because it's not about you. It's not about you, your ministry, your life, your fulfillment, your self-worth, or any. It's nothing to do with that. Mostly it's about His glory and the lost. That's what this is about. That's why we're here. Not about us. As they say, the church is the only organization that exists primarily for its non-members. And we're here for this city and for this world. Serious, serious stuff. But as alongside, every time God moves, the devil moves. Do you notice that? Every time you try to grow in the spirit, your flesh starts to cry out. Right. Don't, don't kill me. Don't crucify me. Let me live. Your, your flesh will always cry out and make its presence known when you make a determination to grow. But exactly the same thing happens in churches. When churches start to grow, often the leadership can start to be rocked and many members go into a tailspin. I've seen it again and again and again and again and again and again. I had to talk to one person here in this church. And do you know what I had to say to that person? This was about a, two years ago. I noticed we was about 40, 50 people here on Sunday morning. And it was a small church, but we were growing. And there was, when you grow, you don't grow in a straight line. The human life's like that. Christians are like that. You don't go like straight from A to Z. You tend to go from A to B and C and then maybe back to B a bit and then on, right? It's just reality. You've got to get that concept and get some reality, right? The real world, the real Christian life. We don't go from A to Z and jump. We actually go through the alphabet, alphabet spaghetti right there. You've got to eat it up and work through the process. People who think they're going to go from A to Z often don't even make it to B. Because they're impractical, unrealistic about the challenges of the real Christian life. And so it is with churches. So here we are, we're about 40, 50 people on Sunday morning. And I noticed something. Every time we would have a fantastic Sunday, this person would be missing. Same person. So we'd go two or three weeks and it would be normal. But you'd come to a week a bit like today, where the worship is, is tip top. And you, I would look around, not here. And then the person would come back in every time we hit a peak. 
that person was knocked out. Bad person? No, not a bad person. Not a bad person. Just someone who was unable to cope with growth. Unable to move on and change with the church and with life. You see, we're doing a series on the wisdom literature at the moment. And it has many things to say about people who are there when you don't need them. And not there when you do. Amen? (laughs) There's many people in churches like that. Proverbs puts it like a rickety stick. A leaning wall. When you don't need it, it's there. When you're standing under it, it falls over. Right? And you've got to ask yourself, am I one of them? Am I a person like that? Do I miss the key points? And if so, then where is my Christian life? And am I going to miss the party? Be careful. As I say, you might get knocked over. So be careful. Get with the game plan. Churches do not grow in a straight line. Sad to say, but it's true. Churches tend to grow. Jesus put it like this in one of the Gospels. He says that some who have faith can go from 30 to 60 to 100. Right? Remember that? He said you can reap a harvest 30, 60, 100. And that is the nature of church growth. You see, you don't just go up. When churches grow, when we got to about 30, some people left. Those who couldn't cope with the changes just said, I'm not going to. It's like that leaning wall again. You see, unable to move with the times, unable to move on, and so many left. And I said, that's fine, no problem, off you go. Some people have to be encouraged to leave. (coughs) (laughs) Jesus often did that. He would take the three and he would put the, whatever, seven or eight or nine aside. Because he would say, right now you don't have faith for this, so I'll just work with the three. So, I mean, and praise God, you don't often have to do that. But believe me, as I say, (laughs) this church is moving. It's God's church. And we had best move with it. Now, the best thing is if we can keep everybody together, keep the church tight, and stay with the game plan. But that is going to involve you growing up. You're going to have to change. I'm going to have to change constantly. There's going to be greater demands of me as the numbers change. There's all sorts of things that alter as churches grow. Do you know that, say you're in a church of 30 people, right? 30 people in the church, and all of a sudden, a bit like this place, we grow to whatever, 250, 300. And say you led the Sunday school. The person who leads a Sunday school that has 15 kids in it is a very different person from a person who leads a Sunday school with 100 kids. So even though you led the Sunday school at one point, as a church grows, you're more than likely to have to step back from that role. And someone else would come in and take it forward. Our worldwide overseer is called Pastor Rick Seward, an absolutely excellent guy. Just about five months ago, I was sitting having a cup of coffee with him here in Glasgow. And he said, where's the church going? And I said, we'll be 3,500. I don't know how many years, but that's what God has said to me. And I'll eat my hat if we don't see that probably pretty soon. So he's seen this all over the world. He's seen it happen again and again in countries across the globe. So his first question to me was this, Mike, If you take the church from 50 to 500, I might have to take you out because someone else will have to take it. I said, are you okay? I said, of course I'm okay with that because ministries change. Churches change. And whatever you do in this church, I want you to grow up over it. It's not about you, is it? Whatever you do, whatever department you're in, whatever job you do, be very relaxed to put that job down and to pick it up. So, just, these are just general points, but you best take them to heart, guys, or you're going to be very disappointed in two or three years' time. 
As I say, you could, you could miss the party. Another thing about, see these key, key junctions, when the church really grows and jumps? Another thing about that is leaders do get it. Leaders start to, to be attacked often by membership. People start to think the, the craziest things about you and say the maddest things about you. It's just unbelievable. It's part of growth, you see. And you've got to be deceived to, to believe some of this stuff. You know, I, well, I could tell you a thousand stories about that. How stupid people can be. You know, the things that are said sometimes are just absolutely absurd. And once the devil starts to put thoughts in people's mind about their cell leader, about their discipler, about their leaders, about their pastor, you've got to watch that. Be aware of where it's coming from. 10, 15 years ago, I'm driving in a car with my senior pastor called Peter Finch. And he and I are immensely close. He's discipling me. He's bringing me on. My life is moving because of him. And all of a sudden, we see a, a girl we know from the church. And I don't like this girl. She's a real snake. I didn't like her at all. But we were actually traveling back to Dublin. And we happened to see her and said, you want a lift? So she said, okay. She was in our church. She got in the back. And we're driving along. And all of a sudden, that voice comes from the back seat. And she said this, Peter, why did you tell me about Pastor Mike, the secret he told you about himself? Why did you tell me that? And I said, Peter, please let me answer. Please let me answer it. Don't answer it. He's ready to... <laughs> I said, Peter, please, can I just... Not? He said, okay. I said, you know what? This is my friend. And I trust him. And whatever he shared with you was for my benefit. I trust him. See how evil the devil can be? I need him. I need Peter. I need Peter to go forward. And the devil wanted to, to split me from him. Now you can fall for that. And you can start to get crazy thoughts about your disciple, about your pastor and all that sort of stuff. Where is it coming from? Come on. It's a growth point. And then you'll have years where everything's hunky-dory. You'll have another two years where we skip along, right? And everything's fine. But the devil will challenge you at the growth points. Now, not everybody makes it. Many people just want to go back to Egypt. Remember, the 12 tribes came out, but they couldn't all cope, right? So three of them said, we're going back. We can't cope with the promised land. We can't cope with that altitude. Everything's different. It's not the way I want it. The Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, right? They went back into Egypt. I'm just telling you, folks, we need to be very careful about what you believe, what you're thinking. Keep your mind straight because the devil would love to drive you crazy, drive you mad in every which way. I'll tell you another story. This African guy came to, to, to live in Dublin. Good guy. I met him. He had nothing. He was in a very bad situation, but he was a good pastor, solid pastor. So we took him in. And I started working with him, and he started to get a team together. I remember we got about 20 people together, and the church was going fine. And we grew in leaps and bounds. But when we came to a major point of breakthrough, where, I mean, we really did, actually. We went from about 60 to about 200 in that congregation. So I was his senior pastor, and I'm working away with him. But he wasn't cooperating with me, and he started getting weird, you know. And I could see we're going for growth, and the devil's winding you up. And in the meeting one day... He turned to me and he said, you know what, this is a guy who we took in, prospered, brought forward, 
did everything for, and he turned to me and said, do you know what you are? You're a racist. That's what he said to me. You're a racist. I, I remember being shocked at that. He left our church. And it was about two years before I saw him again. He didn't prosper in that time. He nearly went mad. And it was a pastor's meeting or something. I walked into the room. There's men everywhere. And I saw him for the first time in a long time. He was on the other side of the room. And I sort of waved. Do you know what he did? On the spot, instantaneously burst into tears. And in front of everyone, walked across the room and grabbed me and cried like a baby into my shoulder. And he couldn't even, he couldn't speak. And he was saying, I, I'm sorry for what I said. What was wrong? What was wrong, man, is we were growing. And you fell for the lie of the devil. And you started to entertain thoughts that you should have been smarter about. Right? Grow up. So we need to get smart and fit for the battle, be aware of the wisdom that Solomon gives and see ourselves not just drop off like Reuben Gad, the half-tribe of Manasseh, but be willing to go right to the end for him. Amen? Amen? They're good days, but they're tough days. And I hope we can all stick with it and end end well. Let's pray. Praise God. Lord, I thank you that you're on our side and we pray you would put our speech on your side. We rid ourselves of every negative thing. Now, Lord, we pray for this church that you will keep us pure and holy. You will keep us on the right track. And God, we will not be a leaning wall. We will not be a rickety stick, but we will be strong Amen. in the hand of our God. Right. Come this morning, Jesus. Give us wisdom as we study the wisdom literature. We ask you for wisdom in the things of God. Lord, knit us together, bind us together in this place as the army you desire. And ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Turn to Proverbs chapter 13. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 18. I'm going to talk today about receiving criticism and just what Proverbs has many things to say about receiving criticism and being able to grow that through that. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 18. He who ignores discipline or criticism comes to poverty and shame, but whoever heeds correction is honored. He who ignores discipline, or I would say criticism, comes to poverty and ruin. We've been doing a series on wisdom, and, and it's a bit of a shock to me anyway, I guess, because when you look at wisdom, I was, I was really taken aback by the amount of stuff that Solomon says about relationships. For you to grow, for me to grow, for us to grow, it's going to involve wisdom for relationships. In other words, Solomon's warning you, your relationships can wreck your life. Or they can make your life. So be careful about what he says in terms of dealing with people, handling people, being able to get on with people. And we spent three, four weeks just looking at that point. Then he goes on to another big issue, and that was finances. And he, he, he goes on and on and on about all the different complexity of finances and t- right through Proverbs and indeed in the Gospels where we're warned this is a bigger issue than you think. So, if relationships won't keep you out of ministry because you can't work with people, finances might keep you out of ministry because you can't get enough funds to live. And if that doesn't work, then number three, Solomon turns to your own personal development as an individual, to you growing and changing in the, into the, the, the person and the character God wants you to be. Now, 
there's two aspects to you. There's your personality and there's your character. And these are very different things, very different things. And in my experience, I find that most Christians are very happy to have their character dealt with. Your character is who you are when you're alone. Your personality is who you are right now in this place. It's what you present. Your character is that side, the, 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 the hidden side, but the real side. And your personality is this you here that you bring to church on Sunday. Now, there shouldn't hopefully be too much of a difference, but it's that difference I want to draw out. Okay? See, I think most Christians, when you go to them and you say, you know, you really shouldn't be doing that, and it's a character issue, they say, amen, sorry, I'll work on it. But when you address someone's personality, wow, it's a very different issue. Many people just cannot handle that. And so they never grow. And it keeps, it can mess up their, their own personal lives, but it definitely affects any progress in ministry that God may have for them. I want to give you an example of a, a friend of ours. We had this lady, our church in, in Ireland was growing very well, very fast. We had a, a good women's group in the church, but there was no significant leader. Jeanette was too busy and we needed a women's leader for that thing. And we didn't make any decisions, but one woman came to me who we know very well, and she came and said, I want to lead the women. Now, this was a very, you know, gregarious, happy, jolly girl. She was very well suited. Her character was excellent. However, I said, let me think about it for a while, <laughs> because there were one or two personality issues that were not excellent. For instance, she was extremely tactile. She was a very touchy person. Not touchy. I mean, she would touch everybody, especially men. Um, she didn't mean any harm, don't get me wrong, but uh, this lady would have no problem coming in and sitting on my knee, right, and running her fingers, she was just, she's nuts, you know, but she was innocent nuts, she was nice nuts, if you know what I mean, so she would do that, and listen, as a church, you've always got your characters, and we know them, and we love them, and we understand their little ways, and we can cope with that. And she was one of them. She was just like that. She was different, and everybody knew she was innocent and didn't mean any harm, and we really liked her. Now, she says, I want to lead the women's ministry. I thought about it for a while. Character's fine, but there's some personality issues, because the women, we're going to invite everybody. It's opening up. We're going to invite the whole city and say, we have a women's meeting, and everybody can come to it. So my point was, now, uh, a strange couple walk in, and you go over and sit in the guy's knee. Hello. <laughs> It isn't going to work. Now, she was trying to function at this level when we're moving to this level. And I, I remember sitting her down one night. I thought, okay, I'll give her the chance, but it's going to require change. If you're going to move on, you're going to have to leave some of that stuff behind. So I sat down with her and I said, look, let's give it a go. But before you take that position, I need to talk to you about something that maybe nobody's ever spoken to you about before. You, you're, you're far too tactile. Now, that's fine with your close friends. That's fine, everything. No problem. I understand you. I'm not judging you in any way. I'm just saying you can't do that if you're going to proceed at higher levels into ministry. And you certainly can't do that with a women's group. Because, man, I was shocked. Don't say that. Don't try and change me. I'm, I'm the way I am. This is the way God made me. This, I, was, I was shocked. Because I thought she would be able to cope much better than that. Could not take it couldn't cope with it. She, so it never happened. Stayed in our church, but never matured. And that, you see, what that tells me is you don't care. You really don't care about the women. Maybe it was about your doing your ministry thing. Maybe that was it. But if you cared about the women, I tell you this, you would have stopped the touching. I guarantee you. If you cared enough, you would have changed your behavior to complement the ministry. But you don't want to do that. 
It's still about you. You see, your personality can really keep you from progressing, not just your character. And many people never, when God wants them to, they never enter ministry because of stupid things like that. See, it isn't just God who's going to develop you. Remember our discipleship program here has got three levels. It's being a disciple of Christ first. You can't work with anyone until they're submitted to him. No, it's not going to work. So we become disciples of Christ and honorers of him first. Then other people are involved. But I guarantee you, folks, you're not going to grow unless people are able to speak into your life. You're not going to grow. It's, the, it's called discipleship. It's the last words of Jesus, go and make disciples. And we need to get very, very used to that or it, it isn't going to be happening. Now, many of you have come from traditional church backgrounds where this didn't happen. Well, that's a major flaw. No wonder they die off like dinosaurs, you know. They, 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 they don't make it because they're not connected to the real word here. We need to be engaged in thoroughgoing discipleship. Turn to Hosea. Look at this. Hosea chapter 12. Sorry, Hosea chapter 10 and verse 12. Hosea 10, 12, sow for yourselves righteousness, reap the fruit of unfailing love, and break up your unplowed ground, for it is time to seek the Lord until he comes with sh and showers righteousness on you. Break up your unplowed ground. Now, I, I, I love that scripture. It's, it's an invasive scripture, and one of the aspects of discipleship is that it is invasive. It should be invasive. There should be someone coming into your world and bringing criticism constructively. There should be that person. You should pray for that person, for God to send you a proper God-given disciple, a person I'm talking about, not the Holy Ghost. God will do his part. But one of the first things God will do is he'll give you someone. He'll put someone in your life. It may not be a friend. The disciple is not your friend. It's someone who points out your mistakes, but only for correction, only for help. And it's someone you respect and that you will listen to. But years ago, I was studying this subject and I, I believe I heard from God and God spoke to me about something. And he said a surprising statement. He said this, the church praises fallow ground and criticizes fruitful ground. I don't know, what? The church praises unplowed ground, fallow ground, and criticizes fruitful ground? What on earth does that mean? Well, let me show you something of what that means, or at least what I took from that word. See, what is fallow ground and what is fr fruitful ground? Well, fallow ground, a field, think about it, just visualize it. A beautiful field, lush with grass, there's nothing happening in it, but it looks so good on the surface. But nothing's happened there, nothing's changed there for years. It's stable. It's consistent. It's at such peace and such rest. Oh, it's faithful, all right. But you see, God was asking me, faithful in what? What is the fallow ground faithful in? And fruitful ground, well, fruitful ground is a completely different story. In that field, you're going to get a tractor. You're going to get change, change, and more change. You're going to have turmoil, right? Because that person is faithfully what? Faithfully changing. That you can look at them and say, man, you have changed. The person I knew two years ago, look at you. I don't even recognize you. Praise God. But we don't hear enough of that. Instead, we meet an old friend and the first words out of their mouth, ha, huh, 
you haven't changed a bit. The last thing, thanks. It's the last thing you want to hear, right? So I believe God spoke to me and said the church actually praises fallow ground and it criticizes fruit, criticizes church and people. Remember, fallow ground will always criticize fruitful ground. I'll say it again. <laughs> fallow ground, Christians who refuse to change will always be pouring criticism on those who are changing. Have you experienced that? Amen. So we've got to be wise to that. See it coming. Which type of ground are we? Which type of ground are you? If we have let ourselves become fallow ground, just sitting, you see, you know what you hear. I hear it at funerals, you know. You go to a funeral, Mr. Jones has just died. He's, you know, he's 150 or something. And, oh, Mr. Jones. And the praise comes out for the potential fallow ground. He sat in the same seat for 150 years. <laughs> he never changed a bit. He was the same on the front. And everybody thinks it's fantastic. We really do. You see, we praise what we, we see these things. And God is looking for change. And when Jesus went past that fig tree, what was he looking for? Where's the fruit? Where's the fruit? I want to see movement. Don't get stuck. Keep moving. Keep changing. See, if you allow yourself to become fallow ground, you are paying a price too high. If you do not let a disciple in, if you do not let people come and bring correction to you, it's too expensive to be like that. You're going to regret that. Because fallow ground, listen to this, fallow ground has become all that it is ever going to be. And if you do not let people correct you, if you cannot receive criticism, if you cannot learn and move on, you are now all that you're ever going to be. Anybody want that? Absolutely not. To be has taken the place of to become. You're just stuck. So we need to look very seriously in the light of God. Holy Ghost, come and show me me. And help me not to be touchy or sensitive. So that when people come to bring correction, I'm ready for it. I'm open for it. Our church had... In, in Ireland, remember at one point, there was many years we'd been in and out several times, but the church had got stuck at a certain point. And once again, Pastor Rick came in. Wow, um, I wouldn't have had the, the gall to do what he did, but, you know, he came in and it was like his first week. And he said, right, the guy on the drums, you're in charge of Sunday school. The guy in charge of Sunday school, you're on the drums. You know, and Mike, Jeanette, you're in charge of teas and coffees. I'm the pastor now. Teas and coffees, eh? And it just went on. You are doing this. And the guy said, I don't play the drums, actually. And bass guitar, you're in charge of PowerPoint. PowerPoint, you're, you're, you're on bass. I don't play bass. And like, the meeting ends. And I'm thinking, Pastor Rick, <laughs> they're not musicians. They're going to be. They're going to be. They've gone still. Gone religious on you. Sitting in the same seat. And now change, week on week. What's new? Shake them up. Give them something different. And what happened shocked me. It shocked me. My own people who I knew so well. There was things in them I didn't know. They were able to do things that I'd never dreamed of. All of a sudden you've got someone who's been standing at the back for 10 years with a bass guitar. 
And they go, tong, 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 I'll get it. And it stirred people up. And it released the giftings. See? There's things in you that God has placed. He has a future, a dream, a plan. But it's going to involve that tractor. It's going to involve criticism. Constructive criticism. It's going to involve you growing up and realizing it's not about you. Making a higher commitment that it's now about God and God only. Changing your perspective on just about everything. All the old has to go. And we get ready for a new day. Jesus has a lot to say about seeds, about plows, about ground, about seeds, about harvests, a lot. It's right through the Bible. It's one of the biggest pictures we get about you, about me. This is how he describes us. And it's always the same principle. In fact, he says in one place, if you don't understand this, you're not going to understand anything. Parable of the sower. If you don't understand how the seed, the plow, the seed and the harvest comes, nothing's going to happen in your life. That's a scary line, isn't it? It means I've got to understand. What is it, Lord, that I should know? This is what you should know. First comes the plow, the discipleship. First comes the person coming into your life and saying, you're way too touchy. You're way too moody. You're way too late. <laughs> right? Etc. Someone who's able to come to you and you say, do you know what? I am. And you let that plow in. Then comes the seed. Once the ground is broken, once your heart is open, then comes the seed. The seed of the new word of God. Right? Where he puts faith in you. And after that, and you work on that seed, you pray that seed, then comes the harvest. I'm very frightened that Jesus says to me, if you don't understand that, you're not going to understand anything. Because that parable is the key to everything else, is what he's saying. A master key. I've got to be open to let people in. How do people come into my life? It's point two. I've got to learn to receive constructive criticism. Not everybody who comes to you is against you. People who come to you are for you. They're on your side, right? And they come to help and show you things that are wrong. The word critic, unfortunately, has a very bad reputation, but it isn't a negative word necessarily. Negatively, a critic is someone who points out everything is wrong. But that's not the only thing it means. A critic is also someone who will come into your life to point out strengths and weaknesses. Look at me. Every one of you have got strengths. Everybody. Your strengths, that's great. And God has given you strengths to achieve His goals on earth. But you've also got weaknesses, often given by God as well. The weaknesses in your life are often left there by God. Oh, God, take this thorn away. No, I won't. I'll leave that weakness right there. That's exactly what I want. Because if I take that from you, you'll, you'll, you'll go away from me. I know what you need. But Christian lives grow when we accept our strengths and the weakness. And when you learn to, to work on both at the same time. And we're all too happy to work on our strengths. But when people start talking about the weakness, that's when people can get touchy. And I warn you, at 5 o'clock this morning, God speaks to me in pictures. That's the way I hear from God most often. I see things. I'll tell you what I saw this morning. I don't often, I just make the point. I don't often tell people what I see. But let me tell you what I saw this morning. I saw this little boy. And he was playing with his eyes, you know. Some people can make their eyes go cross-eyed. You know, I think, am I dreaming or what? Not, is it? Playing with his eyes, he was. Making himself go cross-eyed. 
And there's the dad standing over him saying, if you keep on doing that, one day they'll get stuck like that. And the little boy thinks, it's just a game. I'm only playing. One day, you could get stuck like that, and then you'll be sorry. And I start to think, what's, 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 what's that about, Lord? Well, you see, it's my children, you see. Some of them have bad habits, bad ways. And they kind of play with them. Some of them a bit negative, a bit sulky. And sometimes they can get sulky, get negative, and then come back to me. And then get sulky, get negative, and then come back to me. Like a game. But one day, you might get stuck. And one day, that depression, that negativity can become who you are. Because you start to abuse the grace of God. And that's, I believe, what the vision, again, talking about growth, talking about moving on, is a challenge to us. Don't play games with God. Don't play games with your own growth. Don't abuse this great grace that God has given us. And everybody said... Amen. Do not abuse it. Don't play games or you may get stuck. And you know what I was just thinking earlier? One of the scariest things that I've ever seen is a man that I sat on a wall with. And I wasn't long saved. And he couldn't somehow find God. I tried to pray with him, went to see him several times. And I don't know what kind of judgment he had got himself under. But no matter what he did, I could, he couldn't see him. One day I was walking away from him. And he just shouted after me, Hey Mike, you're the luckiest guy in the world. Because I was saved. And he knew he wasn't saved. He wanted to get saved. But it didn't half make me think, What sort of habits have you developed, pal? That you're that far that you can't seem to get back now. You can't seem to come out of it now. Careful of the way you live. Careful of the way we speak. Remember, you can learn to be negative and you can learn to be positive. Paul tells us. You can learn both ways, but if you keep on being negative, one day you might not come back because you'll end up in judgment and you'll get stuck. So you need to, I receive that today as a prophetic warning for somebody. Watch your mouth. Watch your thinking. Protect your mind, the helmet of salvation. Protect your thinking, be wise. Right? Don't get stuck in, in routines and habits that are wrong and destructive. So this whole criticism thing, we're so sensitive about it, but it needs to be part of our daily lives. Absolutely, completely part, and we welcome criticism. Listen to this quote from John Stott. He said this, We need to be as critical of ourselves as we always are of others. And we need to be as generous to others as we always are to ourselves. Amen. Very succinct. Very, very, very true. Let me show you a list of things that can help us, help you, help me, to give criticism constructively. First of all, just talk about you giving it, right? Let's say you're a disciple, you're a leader or whatever, all right, your family. When you go and you feel the need to tell someone something, be careful. Hang on a minute. Why am I doing this? What's my motivation in doing what I'm about to do? Well, first of all, you've got to ask yourself, am I ignorant of anything here? Is there something I don't know in this situation? Is there something I'm not aware of before I just jump in? 
I love Stephen Covey's story. He is a true story. He was sitting on a train and his man got on with two kids and the kids had chips and stuff and they were throwing them all over the place and running up and down the aisle and Covey's sitting there and he's getting more and more angry by the minute. And the, the, the father of these two children is sitting with his head down at his seat and Covey just blows it, goes over to the man and says, excuse me, sir, shouldn't you be looking after your children? And slowly the man raises his head to reveal streams of tears and he says sir I am very sorry they're not normally like this their mother my wife has just died we've just come from the hospital they don't know what to do so they're playing and running and neither do I ignorance is a terrible thing so easy to jump in so easy to point the finger and to, and to just say what's on your heart without asking a single thing? No. So before you criticize, be careful of ignorance. Most criticism comes from people's need to be someone. You hear, you sit with people, they criticize the church all day, criticize leaders all day. Where's that coming from? Do you know where that's coming from? A low self-worth. When people have no value, and they know that they're not moving in the kingdom. They know they're not where they should be. Outcomes, it's a need to be someone. Do you know what? When, when people criticize, they surreptitiously, secretly build themselves up. As if to say, they're like this, they're like that. All the time suggesting to you subliminally that they're not. You with me? You've got to come out of that. This is a major cause for criticism. And if anybody brings criticism to you, by the way, you need to be able to tell the difference between the good and the bad. Because of self-righteousness, because of false expectations. You get loads of criticism in marriages over that. Wives with expectations of their husbands that they've got no right to have, and vice versa. So false expectations lead to all sorts of criticisms. You need to learn to weed them out and iron them. Presumptions, jealousy, pride. You ask yourself, why am I criticizing? Now, I emphasize to you, friends, there's no greater measure of your sincerity. We worship God great here this morning. Amen? What a lovely atmosphere. What a brilliant presence of God. But you know, one of the greatest things you can do to please God is to be willing to change. One of the things that he'll receive without shadow of a doubt more than anything else, is you going from glory to glory. And if we refuse to do that, how can we say that we love Him? Because we don't. We don't. Love will give up sacrifice and move into the person He wants us to be. There's nothing like a bit of constructive criticism to short, sort out the sheep from the goats and to find out what we are really, really like. I've told you this before. We were preaching on the streets in Cardiff and we used to do a particular technique that was very effective. We used to get good crowds of people every week and minister. It was, it was a fantastic time. Did it for many years, twice a week. And down the road from us, just a little bit, was another guy, a typical evangelical with a big black Bible, standing on his own. And no one would, they would actually walk right around him and get away from him as soon as possible. And I saw his faithfulness. And I went down to him one week. I said, hey, man, you know, it's good what you're doing there. Could we meet for a cup of coffee? No. <laughs> I just saw what you were doing, and I wanted to help. You know, days have moved on. Things have changed, and, and I think we could help you do something. No, it's okay. 
And I went back to that guy again. A few weeks later, I said, you sure you don't want to just have a chat? Because I could see some need for constructive help. And I was extremely nice to him, but he was very defensive. And as I walked away, God spoke to me and said, he doesn't care. He doesn't care. And I'm thinking, he's faithful, isn't he? He's down on the street every week preaching the gospel. How can you say, Lord, he doesn't care? Well, he's not open to correction, is he? Not open to guidance. He can see the fruit. And yet in that fallow place, he's criticizing that. You see, he's not, he doesn't really care. And one of the telltale signs in all of us, and I ask you to search your own heart this morning. How much do I actually care about the things of God? And how willing am I to change in all the challenges God brings to me? Take Eileen here. See, she says we want an audition for the worship team or something. And people say, well, I want to do this, I want to do that. And she says, okay, come for audition. And they come for audition. And one person says, I can sing. Right, well, take the mic. They take the mic and Eileen says, are you starting to get nervous now? Eileen, you? <laughs> Eileen says, right, okay, I'm going to play the guitar, you sing. And the person sings and she says, I, I, it's something, it. you're too high. And that person goes, oh, oh, sorry, stop, stop. Can I have a seat? What did you just say? I just said you were too high. Oh, you said it again. I can't cope. You said it was too high. And this is what you get. And you see, listen, if you're that, by the way, that's not sensitivity. That's a bad temper. That's ridiculous. People call this being sensitive. It's not. It's being bad-tempered and a complete idiot. Now, you're in the wrong ministry because we're not going to walk on eggshells around you. So sit down, choose something else that you can cope with because you know what? Correction is welcome to those who are in the right train, right? Correct? Amen. When you're doing what you should do, you, you crave correction. You say, was that okay? What was wrong? Too high? Okay, do it again. That's the attitude. That's the real attitude. And you can always tell those that are in the wrong ministry because just because they want to but not because it's something God gave them because they're unable or they don't want correction. Right? Gone very quiet here this morning. <laughs> true. True of me, true of you. Right? So do we care? Do we really, really, really care? If we do, we'll be happy to change. Rules for giving correction. Other things I would say when people are bringing criticism to you, don't interrupt. You know, interruption is a defense technique. You know that? So you want to talk to someone about someone and they about something and they won't give you a word. They won't let you in. <laughs> they just keep on talking. Talk, 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 talk. And you can't... They won't. It's defense. It's defense. They crowd the conversation to stop you getting in what God... The seed right in there. Won't let the plow through. So don't interrupt. Be quiet and listen. And another thing. Don't say, I know. I know. I know, I know, I know. You probably don't know. And that's why you need correction. That's why this needs to happen and you be open to it. Listen as if you're wrong. It doesn't matter. Who cares? To say, oh, did I do something wrong? Tell me. I'm absolutely wide open to correction. Tell me what I did wrong and I will receive it and I will be happy to change. Ask if there's any truth. And very often, with most criticism that comes to me, I often find that there's some truth. Sometimes it's completely true but sometimes it's about 50% true. Sometimes it's about 99% false. And there's one little degree of truth. And so with all criticism that comes, you've got to sieve it, shake it, look at it, study it, and say, what here is actually correct? Or what do I need to reject? And then thank that person 
they thank you very much that you cared enough to tell me that there were things wrong in what I was doing. I actually see this now. Actually, I don't agree with what you said on that. But on this, you're absolutely right. I just hadn't seen it. So that's when, when we are given criticism. Now, when criticism comes to us, we need to be able to receive it equally as well. Remember, God, God's rule book is very, very different from ours. When he looks at a person, he criticizes uh, on the basis of someone's ability. You know, you can't compare, like worship leading, for instance, you couldn't compare Eileen to someone who's just picked up a guitar. That's absurd. But so one is very experienced and the other one isn't. So it's ability and effort. You can't make a comparison. One of the things we do, and it's a little trick I believe the devil plays with your mind, is he compares your strengths to other people's weaknesses. Tries to give you a false, you know, sense of pride through that. Don't compare your strengths with other people's weaknesses. That's ridiculous, right? So ability and effort is how God corrects. L listen to others before you speak, and I have been very guilty of not doing this many times. And I've learned over the years, I remember one situation that I'm still sorry for now. Sorry I opened my mouth. This woman was gossiping, you know? And uh, I always deal with gossips the same way. Actually, I had a word from the Lord. Sitting at home one day, and God said, this person and that person are gossiping. I thought, wow. So I rang them up and said, can I meet you? I come into the church. I said, listen, I've got something to say. If I'm wrong, fine. Please don't take offense. Uh, but God told me you're, you're gossiping, and I don't want you to do that because that's no good for you. It doesn't bother me. We'll be able to cope with it, but I want you to come out of that, and if there's any problems, let's deal with it. Now, is it true? The first woman said, yes. Okay. Now, let's deal. Next woman, is it true? Yes. Okay. Let's deal with it. You see? Being open, being willing to take that through. Willing to receive correction. The gossips have got to be you know, dealt with or removed. Turn to John's Gospel a moment. Let me show you this here. John's Gospel, chapter 21. I love this scripture. John's Gospel, chapter 21. And verse 20. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. Uh, this one was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the Last Supper and said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? And look at Jesus' reply. Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what's that got to do with you? See, Peter's doing a little bit of comparison here. And you know when it comes to criticism, don't compare. Don't compare yourself with other people. Don't, 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 you just, you're not going to be able to receive it. Let me give you an example. Friday night prayer meeting in here. I've had, had many people that I need to have had to pull aside and talk to, right? And I've just, you know, maybe five, six people where I've had to say, could I just talk to you about your prayer? You're praying too long, okay? I don't want you to pray quite that long, okay? And I, I don't want you to preach. I don't want you to teach. I don't want you to testify. I want you to pray, okay? So every now and again, about once every two or three months, you have to pull someone and say, listen, it's a prayer meeting. Give everybody a chance to pray. And remember the difference between a public prayer and a private prayer. And sometimes you see people do that. They'll come up and they'll be praying private. Well, you shouldn't have the mic because that doesn't involve the whole church. So there's correction that constant. Do you know the most common answer, retort that I get when I say that to people? What do you think it is? Here's the person. I've called them aside Friday night. And I say, do you know what? You're praying a bit long. I, I, I want you to give people a chance. Do you know the most common thing they say? You didn't say that to her. 
You didn't stop him. You didn't stop them. Jesus. Let's read it again. John chapter 21 and verse 20. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. And this was the one who had leaned back. It's John. And Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked Jesus, what about him? What about him? What are you going to do about it? Why don't you correct, you know, by the way, let me explain what's happened here. Peter's just been told he's going to be crucified. Right? And John's lally-dallying along the road. And Peter's a little bit vexed over this. Excuse me, I'm going to get, what about him? You see, and Jesus gives a fantastic reply. He said, he has got nothing to do with your life, your future and your development. Drop it. Drop it. You see, we need to learn, all of us need to learn to receive criticism. And maybe, you see, if I don't stop someone on Friday, it's because they're praying. Amen. Are you with me? It's a, it's a prayer meeting. So the, there's many, many things that we will be stunted in, stalled in, if we don't open, be willing to learn. Oops, it's gone. <laughs> Some rules. God criticizes based on ability and effort. Listen before you speak just the last few points. Be careful of any ignorance within yourself. And don't secretly build yourself up because that's the source of most criticism. Let me, let me just close by saying this. Did Jesus ever speak directly and personally about criticism? Absolutely. He told the story of, of, of the man with the speck in his eye. Uh, sorry, the, the beam in his eye who was trying to get the speck out of his brother's eye, remember? You see, the eye is what? The window of the soul. And it's your soul that needs that correction. And we're so sensitive about anybody invading our soul. My eye is a very sensitive you know, piece of kit. I, don't, I remember getting something in my eye, and one of my friends said, let me, I'll see. I said, you must be joking. <laughs> and so it is with the personality. It's sensitive. The soul is sensitive. And Jesus understands that. The eye is the window of the soul. And we don't want people just poking in there. So he understands this. Christ understood this and, and gave us some advice. Do you know the first thing you need to do? Look at yourself. Get that plank out of your own eye. Accept fully everything that's wrong with you. Be as critical of yourself as you are of others. And once you have done that, once that log is removed, do you know what? you'll actually be able to see. You'll be able to see to help your brother. And what's more, you're going to be humbled by this great big bucket full of faults. And then I got to turn. Hey, what? Do you know what? Look, look what I got out of my eye. Now look at yours. Do you know how you deal with that? You've got a different attitude because you've been broken by the correction of God, the correction of others too. Amen? Let's pray. God, we take our growth seriously. And we commit this day to move forward, no matter what, Lord, to give you our all. As Joseph said, we don't want to mouth words. We want to sing and mean every single word that we sing. So God, take us forward individually. Take us forward corporately. And we pray for this great, great city that you've put us in. That we would be faithful to the gospel within it. Jesus' name.